This is games in schools and libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website www.g4ed.com Welcome to Games in Schools and Libraries. My name's Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Australia. I use games in my 3-4 classroom as well as for our games club, our games days and many other purposes. Uh, you can also find me on my blog, castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com or on Twitter as P. And I'm Donald Dennis. I'm the BizTech Center Librarian at the Georgetown County Library System in Georgetown County, South Carolina, where I use games and simulations to help instruct and entertain the kids, both on the computers and uh, video game machines, as well as on our tabletops. You can find me also at the Onboard Games podcast at onboardgames.net and as Onboard Games on Twitter. Very good. So, Don, what's been going on at the library? Well, uh, I guess the most exciting thing is that uh, when we were recording this, Black Friday just happened about a week ago, and I managed to go and find some sweet deals to bolster our video game collection. So uh, we'll be having some sports games that our group hadn't had and things like that. So I think in the future, maybe we should find uh, you know, the time to record a little bit about the, the best way to expand our collection or finding sweet deals or you know, working it into other budgets. That, uh, that that might be an interesting thing to uh, to share with our listeners. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Um, yeah, not much has been happening at uh, school, to be honest, where as of the time of recording this episode, we're moving into summer down here, and uh, so the weather's getting pretty warm. We've had some 40-degree days already, and that's about 100-odd Fahrenheit. And so we've been starting, uh, we've started, sorry, to run a bit of a program in our library at lunchtimes and recesses where um, some of the kids can go in and play games as a bit of a break from the, the heat. And, uh, and also to provide a structured uh, environment for some of those kids that find the playground a little bit too chaotic, um, don't or, or don't necessarily have a way to to, to um, successfully engage with the sort of play that's going on outside in the playground, um, and and that sort of neatly dovetails uh, to some extent into our topic for this episode, Don. Oh, we have a topic. Excellent. I love it when we have a topic. <laughs> uh, it's probably one of the most important aspects of what kids can get from gaming, um, and even when you're an adult. Uh, that uh, behavior or how people act at the table will have more impact than the actual game that you play in most occasions. That's right. You often you know, hear it said that um, it's not so much about the game on the table as it is the people playing. And uh, it's, it's extremely, you know, a, a, true, a truism that, um, 
you know, that, that if you're playing with a good group of friends and you're really enjoying the company, then uh, the game itself doesn't uh, often seem to matter as much. It's all about the experience with the, that particular group of people. And that's something I think that's, um, that board games particularly bring out. Um, you know, there's that social engagement aspect uh, that, that's very prominent in board games. So, you know, something that's been really positive. And that, as you said, game etiquette, very, very important. Well, all right then. So what have been some of the big problems that you've had with uh, with people? Well, let's start from the problem aspect because problems tend to engage. We'll get a lot of sympathy from our listeners who have also had to encounter these problems. Um, so uh, what are some of the hot spots that you've noticed that you have to deal with uh, or, or get, get to encounter, I should say, uh, when you're trying to do gaming with youngsters? Well, I think... First and foremost um, is that board games aren't always something that is within the sphere of experience of the children playing. And now, I've, you know, I, I regularly run um, game programs um, with our school that deal with ages of kids ranging from four years of age through to about 13 years of age. And so obviously there's a range of, um, you know, different issues that those that, that those age groups will face. Um, obvious, the most obvious, I think, you know, as I said before, that, that games aren't necessarily within this, the normal sphere of experience for these kids. So some of the, the core tenets, the core concepts of actually how to play a game, uh, and, you know, this includes things like, you know, Know, the fact that you've got to take a turn, the things that, that that you have to then wait for your turn to come around again. You don't just go, go, go. Um, you know, all of that sort of stuff, uh, the, the, the social contract that you have with the other players at the table, the general etiquette of engaging in a social activity like that is something that that sometimes, particularly the younger kids, can be unfamiliar with if it's not something that they're um, you know that they're doing at home with their families or whatever else. So that's that's probably the most common. Um, I'd say some of the other issues, obviously, um, particularly as we get a little bit older, um, issues around winning and losing, um, the association of winning um, being you know. If you win, you are a good or intelligent person. If you lose, therefore you are, um, you know, dumb or not good enough. And uh, the anger and angst that can that can come from that, uh, and that that comes down to a little bit of maturity and and um, all the rest of it. And and <laughs> let me tell you, there's some adults that still have serious issues with with that. So those are two probably probably the two most common things that I that I see. What about yourself, Don? Well, I, I was surprised just at, at how tough it was for some of the kids who come into our library to keep their hands off of other people's pieces. And, you know, it's as simple as if you come into the game room, you don't grab somebody else's backpack or you don't pick up somebody else's game if they bring in their own game without asking them. Well, in the same way, you know, something as basic as this isn't yours, this is not your piece. When it's not your turn, you're not touching other people's pieces. You know, and that, you know, from something even as simple as that to, uh, you know, how do you deal with other players when maybe you found a game that you're really good at it and they're not so good at it or even vice versa? Um, And, you know, you don't want to throw a fit or be arrogant, uh, you know, and be willing to play games that other players are also good at. Don't just play the one game that you can crush everyone at because then. You know, they're not going to want to play that game ever with you if you don't also play what they want to play. 
I think you know there's there's a there's a really important issue in there um, with players being able to win and lose with grace, and both of those are as important as one another. You know, being a good sport is is a vital thing in life, not just in playing games, um, and and also the acknowledgement of the fact that you win some, you lose some. And uh, some games you might be good at, you might click with. Um, they might, you know, touch on a particular skill area you're strong with. And other games you're not going to be as, as, you know, as well off um, as other players. And so you're going to most likely lose against them. Um, and you know that that ability to stare that failure in the face and not flinch, I think, is something that um, some kids obviously, you know, have a little bit of issue with. And I, as I said, I really think the fundamental aspect of um, you know, being a good sport and being respectful to the other the other participants in that activity is um, is probably the key key aspect of game etiquette for me. Right. So, just talking from a sportsmanship place, uh, it, it's kind of strange because you know, even talking away from work, we can talk about you know, I've got a son who's thirteen, almost. Well, he'll probably be fourteen by the time this comes out. But um, you know. When we first started playing games together, we, we picked up chess, and he was probably seven or maybe eight at the time. And, you know, he could play, and he'd put up a good fight, but if I beat him, it wasn't a bother to him. You know, losing was not an issue. He was just excited to have somebody to play with. And then, you know, after a while, uh, you know, maybe a year or two later, he started to get really petulant or angry, uh, you know, if it looked like he was going to start to lose the game. And... Then it, later, when he figured out, oh, Donald's throwing this game to me or I'm doing this thing and he's going to lose the game, the game's not going to last maybe as long as he wanted, then he'd start to get upset if he noticed that. And now he's at the point where he can play a game and win, he's having fun, or lose, he's having fun. And it's not so much just uh, does he win or lose, but has he learned something from the game? And if he loses, he'll now talk to me about, hey, yes, what did I do wrong or what have I found out? Or if I, you know, Hey, that was a good play. I know where this game turned on me, that kind of thing. And so I've seen some great stages of his maturity over the past six years as it's changed up and down. It's just been kind of interesting to see. And I think you you hit the nail on the head. Um, that that the really the object what what um, is ideal is that everybody is in that place where the playing of a game. I mean, obviously everybody strives to win, um, but it, it's not an environment where um, competitiveness um, outweighs you know those other aspects of respect and having a good time. And that it really is about the experience rather than about you know the the, the actual win. Um, and and you know that can be a tough thing. And I, and I think you also were spot on talking about that, you know, that up and down because, you know, as, as kids uh, grow up and, and they hit that uh, puberty and adolescence and, uh, you know, finding their place in the, in the world and so on, that, that whole um, aspect of positioning, social positioning and, and all that sort of stuff becomes important. And, uh, you know, there's uh, for, for boys, uh, you know, the alpha male and, and so forth, you know, there, there are aspects to that that play a serious role in um, how they feel and how they, how they emotionally react 
to um, winning and losing and um, all of that sort of thing. So, uh, and, and, and that is also then influenced by who else is playing the game. You know, who is this happening in front of? Who is witnessing what is going on? Um, you know, and, and yeah, that, that is a huge part of it. Um, we've got chess sets at the library, of course. That seems to be one of the places that chess sets live these days. And if I'm playing chess with my son or, well, with some of the kids, they are very competitive. They're like, we got to beat Mr. Dennis, uh, you know, need to show him what's up. But on the other hand, if there's a new uh, person into the room who doesn't know the game very well, who shows an interest, my son does an excellent job at sort of, you know, he may not go too easy on them when they come in, but he's very tolerant of their mistakes and, you know, he will kind of show them how to play the game. And his focus isn't so much on winning, but it's like I'm competing with this other person on a different level. And he starts to really, he's shown an awareness of what's appropriate. And I think, you know, fundamentally games are a social experience and, um, you know, you just watch um, what happens when you get a, a group of um, boys playing a game that involves some level of aggression towards other players, something like chess, and then introduce, you know, a girl or so into the into the equation and see how the behaviour and, and um, you know, the re- actions, reactions, emotional responses and so forth change. And, and conversely, you know, a group of girls playing a game when there are, you know, boys watching on or whatever it might be. And and that can be an issue um, in terms particularly of how kids emotionally react to the experiences of winning or losing or what's happening in the game, um, you know. And, and, again, it comes down to, I think, you know, that whole concept of game etiquette, what's it all about, um, and, and being... You know, from my point of view as a teacher, I think, you know, I try and be as strong as I can be um, on the, the message that the playing of the, the game playing really is all about, um, you know, the experience that everybody's enjoying themselves. It doesn't matter so much whether they win or lose. It's really, um, you know, about, you know, having a great time. Right, right, right. Couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> Uh, so I, w- I was thinking that uh, probably the, some of the biggest issues that I've had, and this is a video game related thing, is levels of boredom and how do, how do players handle boredom? I, I We tend to deal more with boys in the game room than we do girls, which is kind of a shame. But uh, and when playing video games against each other, if especially if they're doing what's supposed to be a team activity, uh, if boys get bored, they will turn on each other probably faster than, you know, a pack of rats. And and, and by this, I mean, uh, I was playing Halo with my son a few years back, and I'm no good at these games. I mean, I'm horrible, but I was like, okay, I'll play with him even though he's going to be so much better than me. Well, he got bored because he was basically carrying my weight, and so he made a new game of let's turn and shoot my, you know, my stepdad. And... That became the game for him, and that wasn't the game I signed up to play. Was to be slaughtered like a pig, you know, every step <laughs> of the way. So it's like, you know, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. This isn't what we're playing. Maybe I'm going to take a break from the game now, um, and and we'll see what happens. But you know, so trying to figure out how do you deal with boredom, and in some case, it might be kids being a little bored because the game that, that you've picked out for them to play or that they've grabbed off the shelf has a lot of downspace between turns and those can turn even in board games can turn into destructive times 
And, and in some cases that could be, you know, they start, you know, stealing money from the bank, which is, you know, definitely a no, no, or perhaps they start, uh, you know, messing with other people's pieces or they wander off to go look at another game and, and sort of teaching them how to rein in and engage in the game. And in some case, it might be asking them, well, what are you going to do on your next turn? How are you going to deal with the fact that, you know, maybe if you're playing Risk, that I just captured this territory from you and maybe I'm not the biggest threat, but this other player is the biggest threat or or you know, look, so-and-so just attacked you, but I, as the person who know the game the best, still probably in the best position. Are you going to attack me? Or are you going to get revenge? Just sort of have them talk through, you know, the, the steps of the gameplay and, and get them engaged so that they're thinking about what's going on so that not everybody else has to wait just as long as that person just had to. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on. We were playing a game today in the um, games club at, uh, at recess, and uh, the exact same thing happened. Younger kids playing a game, um, not used to actually, you know, playing a game. It come their turns over. They want to get up and wander away and have a look around, um, you know. And, and that comes down to understanding the social contract of sitting down to play a game. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing is, if paying attention to the rules that you're talking about, is. If you see somebody else doing something wrong, how do you correct them without leaping down their throat? Because young kids, especially if they feel like they're always being corrected all the time, because, you know, quite honestly, younger kids don't have the experience that, that, you know, adults have had. And so maybe they are being corrected a little more often. They just leap at the chance to correct somebody else when that other person is doing stuff wrong and or incorrectly, I guess, you know. Wrong is a moral choice, but incorrectly is to the rules. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, you know, I've dealt with a few kids who um, have their particular interpretation or, or recollection or understanding of the rules, um, and they sit down to play with a particular group, uh, and some of the other kids might have a different recollection or understanding or or uh, knowledge of the rules. And so how how does that social conflict um, become resolved? And some kids, you know, can do that no problems and others have um, have big issues with the, the resolution of, of social problems like that. Um, and I think, you know, and that's a really good learning experience. Um, I know I've had a couple of kids over the last couple of years um, with uh, Ashburgers and, um, and, and various um, forms of uh, autism, and those kids particularly have difficulty reading um, social cues and understanding some of the niceties involved with uh, social interaction that, that um, you or I or, or, or other kids without, without, um, without the autism or the Asperger's um, would not you know, have. And so for them being able to resolve a social conflict where they have a particular interpretation of the rules that the other kids are disagreeing with can be a really um, emotionally charged sort of encounter for them. And I've actually uh, had um, experience with with one kid where we we actually deliberately were using games to help model um, some of that, that, you know, strategies that they can use, that that boy could use to uh, resolve some of those issues. So, you know, games can be a, a useful tool in that way because they provide a structured environment to experiment with those particular skills. 
Right. And, you know, you can also use it the opportunity to build information seeking skills, which means if you think that uh, if I think that the rules are being played wrong, what I'll do is say, hey, I don't think this is the right rule. Let me look it up, grab the rules book, show it to them and say, look, see, this is how it goes. And then they also see, well, look, I can find the right answer if, if I think it's going wrong and it doesn't have to turn into a yelling match or it doesn't have to turn into a tantrum. It can be a look. Here's the rule that the game was meant to play by. If everybody agrees to play by different rules before we start playing, that's perfectly fine. But otherwise, we're going to assume that the default position is the way it is in the rules book. Yeah, and that and that works really well when you've got kids that are able to go through a rule book. You know, they've got the um, the literacy skills required to to find you know the directly stated and inferential information. Um, you know, within the rule book that they need to to you know move on with the game. Um, you know, with with younger kids, obviously that is. Um, not necessarily the case uh, and you know again it comes down to modeling you know um, a more positive way of resolving a conflict over a more negative way and I, I think it can be a really powerful way of, of, of structuring that to be honest right absolutely uh, you know I haven't had a lot of experience playing with the kids who are too young to read though so mm. so I don't have that kind of ability how do you adjudicate those kinds of situations how do you convince them well here's how you go about figuring out what the right rules are do they just always come to you or you know is it do you teach them to vote on well here's what we're doing this time you know i mean granted when you're playing with children that young the rules aren't usually that complicated uh, so you can get to an answer and pass on but what are some of the tips you might have to finding a a workable solution at least for that period of the game well, first of all, one of the one of the things that I've found to be, you know, in my classroom, um, generally speaking, when when it comes to the rules of the game, if the kids have a serious question and that can't be resolved, um, I am the final arbiter. Um, it, you know, it's that simple. The buck stops with me, in, in that sense of of, of ruling and overruling. Um, However, obviously, there are steps that, you know, one can go through prior to, you know, invoking the arbiter. Um, and, and as you said, you know, you mentioned a great one before, voting, um, discussing what they think the rule might be. These don't always work. You know, sometimes these discussions can become emotionally charged and the kids have difficulty resolving or, or reducing the, you know, emotional involvement in that that conflict. So I, I, I always think that voting is a really good one because it gives everybody a voice. Everybody's got their particular say, but they also understand that when push comes to shove and the votes are counted, that it's going to go the way of the majority. The downside of it is that, um, you know, as we know, um, that, that, you know, friends of friends of friends can, um, you know, rake in more influence and potentially more votes than someone who's uh, standing there disagreeing on their own. I think that that um, one of the strategies that's worked really well on our games days where we have, you know, 30 to 50 games being played at the same time. Now, obviously, I can't go and adjudicate all of those. 
um, and, and nor would I try. One of the things that I've, I've found worked really well is to have our, our games ambassadors, and these are kids at every, at every table running the games who are in charge of that particular game. And, um, you know, it's their job to teach the players if they're not sure, but it's also their job to adjudicate in those situations where there's a rules disagreement and to make a decision about where they're going to go next. Are they going to uh, be able to resolve it with a vote or, or um, you know, resolve it through discussion? Are they going to come and ask me what's the... What's the process they're going to go through? But that I, I really find having an, a, a, a kid expert, so to speak, um, to to adjudicate to help run that game to be a really powerful thing. And um, you know, it's something that we've had a lot of success with at our school. In any case, having having kids as the games ambassadors, they're the ones handling those rules disputes and so forth. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that that one of the other things that 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 you can get from this um, is just the social discussion and teaching them a little bit about uh, you know the process. So while this is an excellent way to have them behave during you know during game disputes, is that you can also use it as the opportunity to teach them a little bit about political dynamics, or also potentially a little bit about. Um, you know, what's personal may not be what's important, which is the, hey, you want the rules to go this way because that's going to benefit you. But as a good sport or as a person who's a member of the classroom and is going to have to play this game in the future, that you don't necessarily want to bend the rules to your will because it's not going to be balanced next time and maybe somebody else is going to come up with, you know, that completely different viewpoint on how to take care of things. And so basically you always want to try and find that truth or how the rules are actually going to be played uh, instead of changing the rules to your whims. I th- and, uh, to, 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 to follow that sort of meta game aspect up, um, you know, one of the things, you know, sort of going back to what I've already discussed is one of the things that I have done in the past and that I think can be uh, a powerful tool when used at the right time in the right place um, is to take an example of a, of a game that has broken down because of an argument or a dispute and to turn it into a flowchart on a you know, whiteboard or something like that and to discuss where did it all go wrong, what was the end result <laughs> of what steps led to that, um, and let's think about a game where, that, where we had a similar disagreement and it was resolved. What were the steps and where are they different? So next time, what should you be trying to do and what steps are going to be more positive in terms of getting that conflict resolved? I think that, you know, games can be a really powerful way of structuring that. Right, right. And and also, I mean, having these discussions, it's amazing how much just the little social niceties, like saying thank you or paying attention to what the other person is saying, you know, just general politeness um, can help influence sort of the outcome or the way that, that things are put across the table. If, you know, somebody plays a rules wrong and you jump all over them and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, that's a lot different than saying, hey, wait a minute, I think the rule's a little different than the way that you just played it. You can't, you know, play down, one, like in Ticket to Ride, where you have to play down a group of cards. You can't play one card and put down one train on a five-train track. You have to do them all at once, which I've had, you know, people do, of course. They're like, oh, I'm going to start claiming this route, and so I'm going to put down one card and try and fill it in. It's like, 
no, you can't do that, as opposed to, <laughs> well, wait a minute, I think you need to do it in a different way. So presentation or just the the voice in which you interact with people has a huge impact as to how well you're heard at the table or how well people are willing to receive the information that you're trying to give them. Yeah, well, you know, and to come back um, today, earlier today, in um, my class we are playing a, a game, or not in my class, at recess we are playing a game and um, it, with uh, little kids, and, you know, it was all a little bit um, chaotic to begin with, and, and then let's bring it back okay it's the end of your turn uh, you pass the pieces that need to be passed onto the next player when it's their turn you actually slide them over to them and say it's your turn now um the end of the game you stand up and shake each other's hand and say good game well played you know all those sort of stuff it, it is important you know that those those niceties you know it, it, sort of help engender a positive and an enjoyable atmosphere i think and um they're, they're a part of that whole concept of game etiquette, of, of good, um, you know, being a good sport, of, um, you know, respecting and, and, and honouring your opponents, playing well and, um, you know, but at the same time, you know, trying to make sure that, that everybody has a good time at the table, not just you. Right. And in fact, you know, being able to say good game at the end of a game, especially if there was some debate over the rules or you know, some distraught over, oh my gosh, you stabbed me or you took the piece in place that I wanted. And it seemed like maybe one of the players was having, you know, close to a meltdown during the game. But if they can genuinely say at the end of the game, hey, that was a good game, then a lot of that other stuff can sort of be forgiven. It's like, okay, this isn't going to impact the rest of our day. This isn't going to impact maybe the next time we play. Because I know that at the end, we sort of all had fun or we all had at least an engaging experience. But if you see someone scowling and putting their hand out and saying, oh, good game, then yeah. uh, you know that that's going to carry over. And that's going to impact the way people perceive that person as well as people possibly even, you know, seeing that game. So, yeah, you know, uh, you know it's, it's and, and I think contextualizing these things is is always good and it's one of the things that I always have in my classroom is a is a scale you know from 1 to 10 where 10 is a sort of you know war of the worlds apocalyptic you know disaster and uh, one is you know something absolutely minor you know getting nipped on the finger by an ant or something like that and where does where does you know your your experience fit on that scale let's be realistic about it you know because it's in all seriousness it's not that serious and it's not worth getting that upset about and of course that's easier said than done right but the, the tough part is is getting that across without trivializing the emotions of the person who you're talking to because if you tell kids well what you're feeling is not important Mm-hmm. Um, even if that's not exactly what you're saying, what you're trying to say is, you know, between that and when you fell down the stairs and, and nearly broke your neck, the impact of this on your life is relatively minor. Um, <laughs> the, the, it's tough for nice. them to sometimes hear that, yeah, that, yeah, it's like, which you just said that what I, uh, and then you've got, you know, <laughs> the, the, you know, crying and the tears and the, you know, not fun. Yeah. Uh, I think you're spot on, and I think um, you know it's interesting. I've, I've 
done a lot of work in my class. I've probably talked about it in previous episodes with goal setting, um, you know, personal goal setting where the kids set goals for themselves in their learning and behaviour. And it is interesting to see the number of kids who, um, you know, as the year progresses, add in a goal about, you know, being able to play fairly, not getting upset in a game, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, you know, I had a had a I've got a boy this year in my classroom whose goal is exactly that, to be a better sport when he's playing a game and that when he loses a game he's not gonna, you know, crack the um, crack the sads and, and throw a hissy fit. You know, that's his goal is to be a better sport, and it's a fan- what a fantastic goal to have. But um, you know, it's something that he's conscious of, uh, that he's aware of, and that he's he's actively trying to get better at. So, you know, that, that's really good. And that, that's a that's a tough goal to get to because it, it, when you're picking out games, you know, everybody's going to have some games that they're better at than anybody else, and uh, you know that other games that they totally get crushed at. And, and I think one of the best ways to help kids learn to be good sports and games is to have a variety of games or at least relatively equal skill level so that I, as a player, can win some, lose some. So that you can really say at the end of the game, well, you win some and you lose some. And if they're always winning, then they're not going to learn how to lose. And if they're always losing, they're not going to have any fun. And it's going to be tough for them to develop that attitude. So sometimes it requires changing games or maybe who these kids are playing with. But, you know, you really do, I think, find that easier to teach when uh, instead of playing one game over the course of three hours, you can play 30 games over the course of two hours. And really, some you win and some you lose. Yeah, and it was a really, you know, a real, um, it, it was a really interesting, actually, experience with that child a couple of weeks ago where he was playing a game that he got really, you know, invested in. It was really tense throughout the game and, you know, it was really edge of the seat sort of stuff. He was he was really getting into it and then lost by, you know, a very small amount right at the end and there was, you know, oh, let's count the points. Let's recount the points because it's that close and he was really invested in it. And then obviously also, because of all of that, really disappointed when he lost. But, you know, it was that point of saying, well, you know, you were so involved in that game. Wasn't that really a tense and, you know, wasn't that a really tense game? Wasn't that really close? Wasn't that fantastic? You both played so well. And, you know, he was, he, you know, he, he sat there and said, oh, you know, it was a really close game. They played really well. And, you know, for him to be able to start talking about the other player in terms of playing well and he had also played well, you know, that, that's a really positive thing and was a really great thing for him to be able to do. Right. And the fact that he's willing to say, let's recount the points instead of going straight to wah is a great sign <laughs> because, you know, I've had kids do that where instead of just saying, well, let's recount the points, they would just get upset or get huffy. And it's tough to deal with kids who go straight to being angry as opposed to questioning. And I'd much rather have kids, you know, question like, oh, wait a minute, let's recount and see if this is right, as opposed to, you know, I'm angry with the world and I'm going to start making everybody's life miserable because of it. Yeah, well, you know, and that's where he was at earlier this year. Um, and, you know, it's been, you know, not not to sort of turn him into a case study, but, you know, it's been an interesting thing because he noticed at the start of the year when we we're running our um, games program 
that not a lot of the other kids wanted to play with him. And, you know, I sat down with him and talked with him about why he thought that might be. And he was able to say it's it's probably because of my behaviour when I lose the game. You know, he was he was throwing tantrums and getting angry at the other players and throwing pieces and, you know, not reacting well. And, and that was then having an impact on future games, um, you know, with, with when he goes to a group and says, hey, do you want to play? And they look and say, uh, no, I don't. It's not that I don't want to play the game, I don't want to play with you. Do you know what I mean? And and he was able to identify that that was becoming an issue for him. And, you know, I've been, you know, I've been thrilled to see that, that his ability to identify when he's starting to feel, you know, too wound up, you know, is getting better and, um, you know, his ability to recognise the other players are playing well has been, you know, getting, has been improving. And he is, he's becoming a better sport and it's great. Right. And this is not uh, just for kids because we've got a couple of people who I play games with, uh, one of whom I met through the library. And he, and he takes winning and losing very personally. I mean, he gets huffy or just, oh, my gosh, you know, and you can tell at the end of the game that, that this is what's bothering him. Now, during a game, I might get emotionally invested with a, this one thing that happened is is sort of a big deal because I was hinging my strategy on it and either it turns out good or it turns out bad, but it doesn't impact my overall enjoyment of the game. And I hope that my reactions are entertaining enough to the people I'm playing with that they don't think I'm serious about whatever the problem is. But at the end of the game, it's like I had a good game experience. This was exciting. It was fun. You know, hooray. But then there are other players who, if they, they don't care so much what happens during the game and they're not having you know, these issues, but what they want to do is at the end, they want the tally to hit in their favor. Or we've got another guy who I play with who he's a, you can't take it back. Once it's a domino laid is a domino played, which is a rule we always played with when I was a kid because kids will frequently say, oh, wait, no, I want to do this or no, I want to do that. And that you want to make sure that you know, you know what you're doing and thinking ahead and doing this. And some play players, it's okay if you take back things and go, oh, I meant to, I should have done this. And if nobody else has done anything, then perhaps that's fine. But the etiquette of the game is when can you change your mind? You know, you sort of have to get this laid out because otherwise, if I know I'm going into a competitive game with people who are going to be playing that way, then I might suffer a little bit more from analysis paralysis, analysis paralysis before I take my turns. Um, but on the other hand, if it's a faster and looser game, we're there to have fun and we're there to explore the game, then it's like, okay, we'll play, we'll play, we'll play, and I'll have a good clip, and maybe I go, oh, I forgot to take my taxes or whatever it is, yeah. and then I'll grab up this thing. And you know, I find that more enjoyable, but I can engage the other kind of game, but it's when one is sprung on you midway through the game and you don't know where you are then or where you stand then that can be an unfun experience for pretty much everyone playing the game because the other guy's going to think, well, he's cheating because he's going about against the rules. And the person yeah. who's like, well, I was trying to speed the game along and I wasn't thinking everything through all the way and I couldn't get back. So it's you've got to be ready where this falls. You know, Tell people, okay, once you've played your game, you don't get to do it. Or if you forget to draw your cards during your turn, you don't get to do them until the next time you get the chance to draw your cards. And there's a great, a great game from a game right games called Zeus on the Loose, I believe is, is is the one where if you don't draw your card, you're going to play down the rest of the game by one card. So remember to draw your card before you tell the other person that it's their turn. 
Yeah, that's a it's it's a really good point, Don. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that fall into the camp of being pretty relaxed about things in terms of you know I just take it back. You, you know, I wouldn't have done that either. You know, or that I could see it was you know a mistake or you'd forgotten this or whatever. Just take it back, no problem. But I know plenty of other people as well who um, who who don't play like that at all. So and you know that's there's no better or, or worse or anything like that. It's you know different strokes for different folks. Um, but, you know, I, I think you're spot on in saying that, you know, as long as people are aware of, of what the etiquette and the expectations are, you know, you've got some idea of the people you're playing with um, and so forth. And, and that brings up an interesting point of a sort of a, a more formal etiquette versus a more casual etiquette, you know, the sort of style you might play with your mates at your, at your own home versus the way you might play when you go to a game convention or you play a game in public with people you don't know. Or for tournaments, tournaments versus casual play. A yeah. huge deal. If you're playing a tournament, you can't take back a move or say, oh, I meant to do this. That's a test of your skill. Yep, and I and I absolutely agree with you. Um, so you, you know, that 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 in itself is an interesting discussion. So uh, one uh, one thing that was covered on a couple of other gaming podcasts uh, for onboard games, I think it was in November and in the Dice Tower, I believe it was in October, but I'm not exactly sure. It it has to do with when you're playing a game at the end of the game. Would you prefer to have a blowout victory? Or would you prefer for it to be a really tight match? And so I suggest that our listeners go and listen to those. And and it's also an excellent thing to talk with the kids about because if, if it's going to be a blowout by one of the kids and it's like, look, congratulations, you've won this game. We have time to start another game and everybody else can compete. Uh, then let's go ahead and restart the game versus, oh, it's a tight match. Nobody knows who's going to win and it's going to be very exciting until the end. Uh, then you know how is it going to fall out? You know where at which point is the victor determined? Do you have to wait until the end of the game before you say, "Hey, you've won the game"? Yeah, and I think uh, you know th- there's another um, ele- element of that. There's another etiquette question. If you're the one being flogged, uh, being you know smashed in the game, um, do you say, "All right, let's end it now"? I'm obviously going to lose. Or do you play it out and just grin and bear it? You know, there's an interesting etiquette question in itself. Right. And and a lot of that has to do with how much time is available to finish the game. What else, you know, what else is going on? Because kids, when they, they figure out that they no longer have a stake in a game, they lose interest pretty quick. Yep, that's very true. Um, and speaking of that, actually, just going back, you mentioned two podcasts there, Don, obviously one that you're involved with and... Uh, Fantastic podcast that you can find at onboardgames.net and the other one was The Dice Tower, which you can find at thedicetower.com. So both um, worth checking out, both podcasts for the hobby gamer and um, both excellent podcasts. Why, thank you. Um, Yeah, so I think that we've given everybody a lot to think about, but we're about 40 minutes into this recording at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so do we have any last words before we, uh, before we wrap up respect, right? Respect and responsibility. How do you take responsibility for your own actions and how you treat others? Oh, I think everybody, you know, in the game is responsible for making sure that everybody else is enjoying themselves as much as they are, you know? 
All right. Well, Giles, thank you very much once again for having me on the show. I appreciate. Stop thanking me, Don. You're the you're the the better half of this effort. Well, I know that at any moment I could be replaced by somebody more entertaining or knowledgeable. So you know, hey, I I couldn't think of the person. Well, you know, it's because it's late night there. I'm sure midday, probably. <laughs> No, it's fantastic. No, it's always a pleasure, Don. Then I will thank our listeners for hanging around and listening to my drivel and your enlightened speech once again on, on another episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis. I wouldn't go quite so far as to say enlighten anything, Don, but no, thank you very much, and, and absolutely thank you to the listeners. Um, I'm Giles Pritchard, and if you do have any feedback or questions or comments for Don or myself, we love feedback, so please do uh, send that feedback in. You can contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com, and you can also find us at our website, uh, gameschoolslibraries.com. And we also have a forum on Board Game Geek. And uh, I believe that uh, they can find us still on the Games for Educators website. Indeed they can. And, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us for another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. This is uh, Giles Pritchard. And Donald Dennis. Games in Schools and Libraries is kindly hosted by the Games for Educators website. You can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes, we love feedback. Games in Schools and Libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. To view a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website. And we're out of here. <laughs> Game over, man. Game over. Love that movie.